We've been talking about what it means to be a follower. Today's day and age, follower means you click the follow button when you like something on social media. Um, you want to be a fan of something, so you follow somebody on Facebook or Instagram. But the idea of being a follower of Jesus is much more involved than that, and I've talked about this throughout this series. We've talked about how when Jesus calls somebody to follow them, it is a very literal lay down your past, follow Jesus, follow him with every step. Follow him closely. In fact, the, the very core of Christianity is this. We, we, it's not political. It's not morality-based. It's not based on church attendance. It's this. We listen to the teachings of Jesus Christ, and we apply them to our lives. We follow his example. We study the words that he wrote, that he spoke, that he taught, and we apply them to our life. We are a follower of Jesus. So that's what we've been doing for the past six weeks. This is part seven. This is going to be the final part. Um, and uh, last week we talked about one of the things that followers of Jesus do, they pray. Jesus modeled and taught about a prayer life. And where we left off last week, Jesus had spent the night in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. This was the night he was about to be arrested and then crucified, and he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't know in that moment, if, if you were here last week, I talked about this. It started out where he said to his disciples, my soul is troubled to the point of death. I need to go pray. He didn't know if he could go through with all that God had for him to do. And he spent the night in prayer. And by the end of that time of prayer, he said, let's go. The time has come. He, was, he had that inner resolve, that inner peace about him that comes when he knows that he's following God's plan. And he left the garden. And from there, we're going to continue on. That's where we left off last week. And it flows so nicely into the topic that we are talking about today. One final thing I want to teach about what followers do, how they live, an example that we see from Jesus. So we continue on. We read in, that, in the Gospel of John chapter 18. We're going to start there again, John chapter 18 today. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. John chapter 18. And as we continue on in that story, right after uh, Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is arrested. Judas has betrayed him. He's told the Pharisees where Jesus would be because the Pharisees wanted to arrest him in the middle of the night when nobody was around because they didn't want to start a riot. Jesus was very popular at that time, so they wanted to do it in secret. And so that's what Judas did. He said, well, I know a place where he'll be. No one else is going to be around. And so after Jesus prays in the Garden, Judas and his betrayer, and the other people come to arrest him. It's the religious leaders. It's these Pharisees, that, these rulers that, that feel like they're the moral police. They are the righteous ones, and they've always been at odds with Jesus, and they see Jesus as a threat to their influence, so they want to get rid of him quietly. So this is what happens. They show up. Jesus' disciples are there. The guards come. The religious rulers and Judas come. Obviously, a moment of tension and if you know the story, you know that in that moment, Peter decides to try to defend himself and Jesus. He grabs a sword and swings it at one of, the, uh, one of the officers, cuts his ear off, right? So this is about to go down. And Jesus calms the whole thing down, and he says these words to Peter. He says, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So this is where, because Jesus has spent the night in prayer, he is willing to go about to do this. He is willing to lay his life down. He knows this is what the Father has for him to do to the point where he's not even going to defend himself. He willingly lets himself be arrested, lays down his life, and he heals the guy's ear too, which is awesome for the guy. So why is, willing, why is Jesus willing to do this? 
Why is he willing to lay down his life and not even defend himself? Why is he willing to be betrayed? He certainly prayed and that gave him strength. But why is he willing to give his life? Because Jesus knows, and this is what we want to talk about today, Jesus knows that he's not just here for this life. He knows that it's not just about this world and this life. So in the final week of this series, I want to talk about this idea. Followers of Jesus have an eternal view, an eternal perspective, an eternal view. Followers of Jesus recognize it's not just about this world, that this world will pass away and we will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. We have this viewpoint in everything we do. This is a core to our faith that this world is not our home. Amen? All right. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. We are here for a short time, but our citizenship, if you will, is in heaven. We long for heaven. And while we are here on this earth, we recognize that we are here with an eternal perspective. We filter everything through this idea that we're here for a short time, and what really matters is what we do for the kingdom that is to come. So the days spent on earth are not just passing time, not just getting through it, but living each day with that lens, that heaven perspective. So I want to talk for a few minutes today that we have together about what this looks like. And I'm going to read parts of the rest of the story from where Jesus was arrested to where he stands before Pilate to where he's crucified and then one of the final encounters that he has with his disciples after he's risen from the dead. And as we go through this, and I'd love to have you read that story, John chapter 18 through 21 is really the, the end of the Gospel of John where it's his arrest and his crucifixion. But as we look at this story, the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus, you're going to see a ton of examples of people that only have this world in mind. Okay, so this story in John chapter 18, this, right after this, Peter, one of the disciples, the one who had said, Lord, I'm never going to deny you, he starts getting accused by people. You're with him. You're one of Jesus' disciples. And he denies it three times. We know this story if you've been around church. He denies even knowing Jesus three times. Why did he do that? Because he's worried about his safety. He's worried that he's going to get arrested too. He's thinking about this world. What will keep him safe? That is one of the things that happens. And through this, you'll see other people defending themselves, pursuing power, pursuing their need for, for influence or notoriety or safety. And you'll contrast this with Jesus through this whole thing, unjustly accused, tortured, crucified, through this whole time, he recognizes this world isn't my home. I'm here to do the will of the Father. He recognizes what happens to me on this world, in, on this earth, in this world is not the most important because I belong to another world. My home is in heaven. My home is eternal. So right after Jesus is arrested, Peter denies him. Jesus goes and stands before Pilate, the ruler. Pilate has the authority to sentence him to death or to set him free. And that's where I want to pick up the story in John 18. I'm going to read uh, John 18, verse 33 through 36 today. So this is after Jesus was arrested. He's standing before Pilate. And in verse 33, it says this, Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? 
Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. I love that response of Jesus. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is of another place. If I were, this is what Jesus is saying, if I was only worried about this world, my followers would be banging the door down. We'd be having a fight. We'd be still be swinging swords in the garden with the guy who got his ear cut off. We would be fighting this. But my kingdom is not of this world. He is willingly laying down his life. I love that response. If I was worried only about this world, things would be totally different. But he recognized it's not about this world. I was thinking this week about people who get this, who understand this. There's a, there's a noticeable difference in countenance in those who understand this principle. Have you ever noticed that? People who understand, this world isn't my home. I'm living for eternity. There's just a different countenance, right? Maybe a couple of you have that countenance this morning. <laughs> There's a different countenance when they understand that perspective of this world is not all there is. Those people that realize that although they're alive in this world, they are not alive for this world. It's not just about this world. Those who live with a kingdom, eternal perspective, they view everything differently. And we see that in Jesus. Those who get this perspective, you and I, when we get this perspective, we live every day differently. How do we spend our time? How do we spend our resources? We do it differently because we're not just thinking about what's going to make me happy right here in the immediate. We run everything through the lens of, this world isn't my home. I'm here like a blip on the radar compared to eternity in heaven. So what I do with my resources and my time and my relationships now, all is filtered through what's going to last in eternity. What is going to be there and bear fruit for eternity? Those with a kingdom perspective... And I know some of you are living this right now, and I've seen people do this. They endure hardship and suffering well. They endure it well because they know this is a short time. My kingdom is not on this earth. I'm not just here for this world. I belong to another kingdom. So if I got to go through something really difficult now, I do it willingly. I do it with gratitude. I do it with this joy and peace that only comes with those who understand that eternal perspective, right? That only comes when you recognize this world isn't my home. It can be going terribly wrong right now. This world is not my home. And I'm not downplaying those of you who are walking through hardship. The days can seem long and dark and lonely. There's heartache. But you got to know, I want, maybe you're here today just to hear this world, this word. This world is not your home. It will pass. It will pass. I've been to a lot of funerals. I think we've all been to some funerals. There's a, there's a noticeable difference when you're at a funeral for somebody who had this perspective, right? Who lived a good life thinking about heaven. Those are celebrations. I've been to some funerals that were absent of all peace and hope. I mentioned Dwayne Helgeson from the Methodist congregation. That funeral coming on Saturday is going to be one not of sorrow and mourning and questioning. 
it's going to be a time of joy where we say he lived a good life with an eternal perspective. And that hope comes from we know we also have that eternal perspective and we will see those loved ones again. There is a countenance difference, a hope and a joy. It's like a defiant joy that comes when you know this world isn't my home. I'm going to be in heaven one day. Students, it might seem like the world you're in right now is all you know. You're in high school and you're thinking, man, all, your whole perspective is how, just getting through high school. Not only does life get better after high school, life gets really better after this world. This world is not the only thing that we have. Think about what you will do for eternity. Live with an eternal perspective. There are stories in the scripture of these disciples that all gave their life for their faith. They were martyrs. We've seen, we've had stories throughout the generations of people who gave their life willingly and joyfully for their faith because they know they're going to a better place. They are going home. So the message today is, if you have this perspective as Jesus teaches and Jesus exemplifies, then we don't spend all our time and energy making this world as comfortable and secure and safe and wealthy and prosperous as possible. We don't spend all our time on this world trying to establish ourselves or climb the ladders or make a name for ourselves. We live for the next world. What will bear fruit in the next world? What will honor God both in this world and the next world? And ultimately, what will cause more people to go to heaven? This is the, this is the thing that shapes us how we live. We live thinking about not what is going to last for a moment on this earth, what is going to last for eternity. Amen? So in contrast to this... And maybe you're here doing this right now or you know someone like this. People who don't have this perspective, they just live for right now. This world is all about what is going to make me happy right now. How am I feeling right now? You have this mentality of enjoy life right now because that's all we've got. And so it's about acquiring wealth and keeping everybody safe and making a name for yourself and achieving notoriety and likes and status updates and fame and recognition. And I know that some of the most prosperous, safe, well-established people are also some of the most miserable, joyless people you will meet because they're living for the wrong world. Have you noticed, and I've noticed this, the more I strive for comfort and safety and security in this world, the more those things become fleeting and absent in my life, the more I get worked up about, I've got to make sure everything's, uh, you know, everyone's taken care of and everyone's safe. And the more that goal becomes elusive and goes further away from you because that's not the way we're supposed to live. Those things, if you were here when Christy spoke a few weeks ago, those things are the shaky foundation to live your life on. But when we live for obeying God and living for eternity, those are the firm foundations. That's why the people who are sometimes in the worst situations... Sometimes people with the least amount of resources are the happiest and the most joyful. And we think, well, how in our world, in our math, in this culture, that doesn't add up. How can you be so joyful when you don't have anything? Because they get it. It's not about this world. It's about living for eternity. Christy and I have spent a couple times, we've gone over to Africa where my parents live. I need to go over there every few years because it's a good reminder of this. Because you'll meet some of the poorest people in the world in Zambia, some of the people who have walked through the most difficult things you can imagine, seeing their children sick and perish from poverty and things that could be avoided, but yet they have it, and you can see it. They have this eternal perspective. This world is not my home. I have a joy that comes only through Jesus Christ. 
and you see that contentment. They appreciate things more. They appreciate every day more, life, family, what they do have. Compare that to some of the most prosperous people in this nation. That all they, and Even though they have everything their heart could desire, there's still that gap, that hole in their life where they're like, I still don't feel joyful. It's because they're living for this world instead of the next. We need an eternal perspective. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the parable of the sower, and he talks about a farmer that's scattering seed, and it's the word of God that is being sown, and some of it lands on the rock where it's not soil that's ready to receive it. And he says one thing in Mark chapter 4, verse 18, in the parable of the sower, comparing uh, certain people to this group. Still others, I think this will be up on the screen, do we have that? Still others like seed sown among the thorns. So he's talking about there are some people that receive the word of God, but the seed falls amongst the thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I read that this week, and that just jumped out to me. When we live for this world too much, when we care for this world too much, it's like thorns that choke out the fruitfulness of God's Word in our life. It's something that pushes back the effect of God's Word in your life. Maybe you're here today, and you're thinking, my faith, it just never seems real. It just seems like I read the Bible, and nothing happens. It could be that you've got too many cares of this world that are choking out the fruitfulness of God's Word in your life. So what does this look like? How do we do this? How do we live with this eternal perspective? Because this can be a tough balance to navigate. Um, I'll illustrate it with this way. Because one side, you know, one side what we've talked about is loving the world so much. You might be here in church today, but you're like, this is just one thing. I got all these other things. I am living for this world. I am accumulating wealth and status, and I'm, I'm pursuing happiness in those things. You lose the kingdom perspective and influence because, like that seed, you've got all these thorns growing up, the cares of this world, the concerns of this world. So that's one extreme. Well, the other side is someone, and maybe you've known someone like this, that they're Christians and they think, well, the only way to prevent that from happening is I'm going to completely withdraw from the world, right? Anything that's not Christian and sanitized, I'm going to stay away from. So I only watch Christian television, and I only listen to Christian music, and I only watch movies that have Kirk Cameron in them because they're the Christian movies. You don't even know there's other... You're like, who are all these people at the Oscars? Why is Kirk Cameron not getting Oscars? Because... He's in every movie. You know, have you known someone like that? Like anything is, um, you're just like, anything is evil. Every, if it's not Christian sanitized, you want the Christian bubble wrap, and you're like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to stay here in my bubble until I walk through the pearly gates. And then the Lord's going to say, way to go. You didn't even touch anything dirty your whole life. No. See, because that's the other extreme. In the messy middle is where we have to live our life, right? It's just the messy middle. It's one of these things that as Christians in this world, we're just going to have to navigate, and we, we won't get it right all the time. And some of you might be looking at other people, and they won't get it right all the time. That's why in the New Testament it teaches, don't cause your brother to stumble, but don't judge people either. Don't be dumb about your pursuit of things. Don't be judging other people who are, we're just trying to navigate through the messy middle, and we remember that we are called as Christians to be salt and light. 
Okay, light illuminates darkness, so it does no good for all the lights to hang over here with all the other lights and say, look how bright we are. No, light illuminates the darkness, so we're supposed to go into the darkness and be in the world. But we're supposed to be salt. And in this day and age, when they would refer to salt, it was a preserver. It was a change agent. Salt would bring purity. That was how they would preserve meat. That was how they would treat different infections. You know, this was, salt was something that brought, that influenced change for the good. So we are to be salt and light. Not enamored with this world, but also invested in this world to be a, bring about a kingdom impact. Salt and light bring about change. And we can't do this if we love the world so much. We also can't do it if we withdraw from the world so much. So living each day with that heaven perspective, that eternal perspective, is going to help all of us navigate through this. It's the messy middle at times, right? That's what it comes with being children of God, followers of Jesus in this world. So you've got to analyze your life. By how I live, look at your life this past week. We'll do a little self-audit here. By how I lived... What kingdom was most important for me this past week? There's the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12 when Jesus is talking about a man who's wealthy and he's storing up all his crops and all his riches and he says, my barns are full now. I've got so much surplus. So he spends money and builds bigger barns so that he can uh, have more surplus. And then he's so wealthy, he says, well, I've done all I can do. I'm just going to Drink and be merry and enjoy the fruits of my labor. And Jesus says, you fool. You don't know that your life's going to be taken from you tomorrow. And all that you've acquired is going to be vanishing, is going to be worthless. He calls him the rich fool because he spent all his days for something that is not going to last. So looking at your life this past week, what kingdom was most important? What perspective? Is it just about now or were you thinking about eternity? Are you reaching out to the lost and hurting? That's why we do this. Not because we can check something off the list of Christian behavior, because we want more people to be in heaven with us. The people in your neighborhood, at workplace, school, we want the, your friends to be in heaven. If you're here and you've never made, never made a decision to follow Jesus, I want you to be in heaven with us. I don't want it to be just about this world. I want you to be there. If there's people that aren't there in heaven with me, especially people in this room right now, I'm going to see that as a failure because we had a chance to let you know it's not just about this world. We want you to be in heaven with us. What world are you living for? Another way to look at it is this. This past week, were you so focused on this world that at any sign of trouble, your faith and your joy and your peace went right out the window? Like, oh, why does this, this world is the worst? Why does this keep happening? Or was there that defiant joy and peace that comes when you know this world is not your home? When you live with eternity in mind, you go through life realizing this world isn't my home, I'm just passing through. So even in the worst of circumstances, you have this unshakable joy and peace because you know it's temporary compared to what awaits eternity at home with Jesus. Amen? With Jesus in heaven. So the story continues. I want to read one other part of this story in John chapter 19. Pilate finds no fault in Jesus, but the Jews insist that he be put to death. So it's this ongoing conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus. I want to read John 19, verse 12 through 16. 
This is when Pilate, who after he's questioned Jesus, finds nothing, he hasn't done anything wrong, and he goes to the Jewish leaders and says, I can't find anything wrong, and he says this in verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which, is Aramaic, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. And then here's the words that jumped out at me. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. And finally, Pilate handed them over. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Why did that jump out at me? We have no king but Caesar. This statement is a huge indictment to the Jewish leaders right then. Because if you know their history, in the Old Testament, when God established them as a nation, he said, I don't want you to even have a king like all the other nations do. I want to be your king. So you're not even going to need an earthly king. Earthly kings are just going to lead you into war, and they're going to take advantage of you. I'm going to be a righteous king. You be my people. I'll be your king. Eventually, after a while, they see all the other nations, and they say, we want our own earthly king. And so that's where we get King Saul and King David and King Solomon, because God allows them to have their own earthly king. But God sees that as a rejection, because he says, I'm supposed to be your king. I'm supposed to be your provider and protector. And they turn away from God and they want their own earthly king. And now, what we just read in the New Testament, these are the same Jewish people, you know, generations later. The same ones that would have read and adhered their life to the law of the Old Testament. Now they veered so far into the cares of this world where they say, we don't even have a king except Caesar. They're worried about protection and their life. We don't have a king except Caesar. And because of that, they're willing to sacrifice and crucify the Messiah that they had waited and longed for for generations. And we see that cares of this world, like these Jewish leaders, become allegiance to this world. The cares of this world will become allegiance to this world. And when we love this world too much, we are fearful and greedy and stingy and anxious because this world is all we've got and we know it's shaky ground. But the hope of heaven puts it all in perspective, right? The hope of, of heaven puts it all in perspective. You'll read later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is in prison. He's facing his execution. And it's in those seasons where he's writing letters to other churches, where he writes what we see in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In prison, he's writing these things. If I'm living here, I'm living for Christ. And if I get killed for my faith, then I'm going to heaven and that's even better. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Colossians 3, 1 through 2, Paul says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. One other thing as we finish up today, finishing up this story in John, Jesus is crucified, Jesus rises again. Spoiler alert, if you're not familiar with that story and you've never read it, he rises again. And then he appears to the disciples, and he tells them he's going to prepare a place. He's going to heaven. He's going to ascend to heaven to prepare a place for them. And he's going to send the Holy Spirit to guide them. 
and that they are to go and they are to go into all the world and make disciples. But in John 21, when all this is happening, there's an interesting exchange between Jesus and Peter. Remember, Peter had just denied Jesus three times. So Jesus comes and reinstates Peter. Jesus tells him, Peter, you're going to be a key leader in this church. And Jesus informs Peter, you're actually going to lead so many people and start so many churches, but you're going to give your life and be killed for the faith. This is what he tells Peter. And then this happens in John 21, verse 19. I'll just read a couple of verses here. John 21, verse 19. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. So he told Peter how he was going to die. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was John, was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? So it's just telling who it was. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. That's an interesting exchange because Peter hears that he's going to give his life for his faith. And as we all do, we like to compare how God's going to use us and how God's going to use others. So Peter sees John and says, well, what about him? Is he going to have to go through what I go through? And I love that. It's, it's very much like a parent moment where one kid is like, well, what about them? And because I said so, you know, that moment where Jesus says, you follow me. You don't need to worry about how I'm going to use other people, how I'm going to bless other people, the kind of ministry or life that I have for other people. All I'm asking you to do is trust and follow me and have an eternal perspective, have that singular focus. We love to compare ourselves with others. We love to compare how God is using us to how God is using others, don't we? We all do that. We love to look at other people and say, well, God, what are you doing through them? Or how are you doing that? Or what's with that church? Or what's with that pastor? Or what's with that? Or in a church like this, well, I want a ministry that's over here, but yet God only has me serving here. I want God to do this. God's given a dream for my life, and I, I'm trying to make it happen. And God's just saying, just trust me. Stop trying to be like other people and how I'm using them. Your ministry that God has for you might be serving faithfully in your workplace right now, being salt and light. Your workplace might be God might miraculously speak to you and send you overseas to serve him in another nation. It might be full-time ministry. He might call you to teach kids. We need God to call some of you to teach our kids, right? We need help with the kids' ministry as this church grows. But it does no good for any of us to say, well, I'm supposed to be that person over there. I'm supposed to be up there. I'm not supposed to be serving here. Nobody knows I'm doing this. Nobody knows my name. I'm not getting any new Instagram followers doing that, right? No, we follow Jesus, and he says, you just be faithful to me. Don't worry about what I'm doing with them. I've got plans for your life that will honor God and will bear fruit for eternity. So you might think you're only cleaning up after the kids on Thursday nights. You are doing work that will bear eternal fruit, right? You might think, oh, I'm just hanging out with the youth on Sunday nights as a youth leader. You are doing work with an eternal perspective that will bear fruit forever. This is a problem in the church world where a lot of people are comparing themselves to others and how God is using others. And it leads us to start judging other ministries, judging other churches. And Jesus is saying, what's it to you how I'm working through them? You don't, you don't need to understand all they're doing. Just trust me with them. You don't need to understand what they're doing with that, that ministry over there. Just trust me that I'm guiding them. But you stay faithful to me. That's what Jesus is telling you today. So in everything, as we close today, 
we focus on Jesus and we follow him. And however he uses us on this earth, whatever we have to walk through, good or bad, on this earth as we follow him, we gladly serve him, right? We gladly serve him because we love him, because he gave his life for us, and we do so with joy because he deserves it. We want to honor him. And for those of you who are hurting today, I want to encourage you again. One day, this world is going to pass. One day, this world is going to pass. We don't sing enough songs about heaven anymore. That used to be like half the hymn book was songs about when we all get to heaven because we had a longing for heaven. I want us to have that longing for heaven, don't you? This world is going to pass. This world is going to pass. And we'll be home with him forever. And all the heartache and pain and tears that we have shed in this world will be no more. There'll be no more sickness, no more hurting shoulders, no more addiction, anxiety, depression, no more relational breakups, all the things that weigh us down on this world. There's going to be no more. He's making all things new. There's only going to be joy in the presence of our Savior. That's what awaits us. So live with that perspective in mind. And I promise you, I promise you this. If you only live for this life, there's going to come a day where you regret it and you recognize that you wasted a lot of time on stuff that did not matter. And I also promise you this. If you live for that next life, with that next life in mind, one day you're going to realize it was all worth it. Everything you walked through was worth it. Every hurt you endured was worth it. Every time you walked through with defiant joy, it was worth it. So my encouragement to you today as we follow Jesus is stop living like this world is all there is because we're not home yet. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you were the example of this. You laid down your life because you had an eternal perspective. You knew this world was not everything there was. So I pray that we would get that heart that this week, that everything in our calendar, everything we spend money on, all the things, they would be marked by an eternal perspective. We want to invest in what will last, and we don't want to waste our time and our resources on stuff that's just going to fade away when this world fades away. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us grow in that perspective. May everything we do marked, be marked by an eternal perspective. And for those who are weary today, I pray that you would encourage them. Give them the hope of heaven. Give them the joy that comes in knowing that you are with them, that the worst days on this earth are short compared to the joy we have in eternity. We thank you for this and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.